0: Listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai I 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Your chance to catch up on expert advice, real life stories. We had an osteopath clinic with superstar Anisha Joshi explaining some of the common injuries that tennis players might have as we were broadcasting live from the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship, TMJ, frozen shoulder, and more we're also discussing dog behavior. Men Lopez joining us to unpack some of the common issues that Dubai pet parents are facing and news of a brand new festival, a dogtastic festival right here in the UAE. Plus we were joined by Shoma Gadi from SG Legal Consultants. Everything you need to know about wills here in the UAE from turnaround time to costs. Joining us now, Salah Talik is the tournament director, telling us a little bit about what's been happening so far in the tournament, what we've got to look forward to, and what's happening on ground. Just want to say, a massive thank you, first of all. You must be the first time you have probably sat down all day. How are you, sir?
2: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: So come on, give me your take on this. Who <laughs> do you think?
2: You're putting me you on the spot I'm, now.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell them what they well, said. Who's the goat for you, sir? Well,
2: for me, I would say a couple. Okay. For men, uh, I would say. Roger Federer. Mm.
1: And a nice guy. Yeah, a nice it's, guy. It shouldn't aim. matter, but it does to me.
2: It does, yeah. And he did well for us. Mm-hmm. I think he did well for Dubai, and Dubai did well for him as well. Yeah, it so suited him, hey? I think it's a it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. So number two, I would say um, uh, Novak Djokovic. He's a great and he's mate. here. Yes, and he's here. So, uh, yes, he's been back since then. Um, so he won five times, and maybe now looking for the six hopefully. I think it probably will. Uh, for me again this is the 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 men are still now worse in, in the ladies week serena is very good serena i think w- one of the greatest to me as well and if you go many years back justine hanin was good as well yeah yeah she did well okay thank you for that <laughs> some food for thought there okay um
1: now oh it was just half term last week my kids were off school and we put them into tennis camp for a day they came back exhausted
2: I'm sure.
1: <laughs> five hours basically yes. of tennis yeah, yeah. but loved it and what I really liked about it was just how much progress they could make in one day going from I, I don't even think they picked up a tennis racket to be honest certainly not in a, in a you know on a court with a coach before mm. to coming back and feeling like they could you know have a good little rally with me I'm poor by the way but they they, they really really came on and I wondered how you were inspiring the next Generation of, of players here when it comes to, to kids at the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship. I,
2: know. I must say it's, it's not easy. Uh, I checked with my with one of my kids. Uh, I would say Abdullah. He was he was a good uh, player, and he still plays. And he was also ball kid many years ago. I love that these yeah, ball kids today. Absolutely. And also, I tried now my uh, my other daughter. Uh, well, Sarah. Sarah. She was also uh, a ball kid, but she wasn't a, a tennis player. Although she loved to be there at the, at the tennis and be part of the tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, safe as well. He was a ball kid, But none of them are really into tennis. Uh, now you Sheikha. Now Sheikha. She's 17. And uh, she's now taking lessons uh, on the tennis. Um, Come on, I'm really yeah. happy.
1: <laughs> you can tell. And
2: I said, finally, <laughs> so you made your way. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great match. It's a great sport. But as you said, the problem is dedication yeah. and the timing. Uh, a school nowadays, you know, they they come they reach home almost 4 p.m. Yeah, so, so there's it's, it's holiday time for them to, uh, you know, to practice. But the good thing is now we have on Friday half day, and then Saturday and Sunday off. So then they have enough enough time to to really sport and then go on and practice whatever they want to do. But uh, again, it has to come from the parents. It needs a lot of dedication, a lot of time, a lot of uh, patience.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell us about Kids Day here at the at the tennis tournament. I think it
2: was really great. That, I mean, we had more than 800 people. <gasps> yeah, school from, children. Yes, from different 15 different schools in Dubai. And we always give a chance to anywhere, Like mm-hmm. more, not, not only in Dubai but also in the rest of the United Arab Emirates.
1: I think it's so important to... I always say, you know, you can't be it unless you see it. Yes. And I think that's the case in sport. I think that's the case in politics in writing in mm-hmm. in media uh you know in, in films and the chance for kids to come down and see some incredible players it brings yes. it all to life doesn't it because Absolutely. i think a lot of a lot of us grew up thinking about exercise being punishment
2: <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> and when we look at just how incredible some i mean this week course some of these in, amazing young women are and young as well you know some barely out of their teens um to be able to have kids who can think well she can do that this this could be a a path for me as well definitely and I think this is another great example you've got you know children determination program as well tell us a little bit about that
2: uh, I would say everything starts from the school so the school it has a uh, a great chance to develop on them as well as the uh, I would say part partially also the United uh, the UAE Tennis Federation mm-hmm. they should uh, put in place some 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 program uh, for the grassroots and third, maybe uh, since we are in Dubai and it's a Dubai portfolio, a Dubai Sports Council maybe should push as well to uh, enhance and to and to make that happen, because it has to have something by enforcement. Otherwise, it will never happen. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like an exam, it's like a uh, a test at the school that you do. Um, also, this year I've realized the. Uh, Every match, minimum two hours, or like some of them three and a half hours. Well,
1: a friend's son is a a ball kid. Shout
2: out to Max. He's Mm -hmm. going to be
1: around later on today. So he's doing his full day of school, coming down. And yeah, he's had a few matches that have been three and a half hours. That takes some discipline in kids.
2: Definitely. And also the the resurfacing of the courts we do every year. So it hasn't changed. Same level, same deco turf too and the and the balls we have a u.s open and uh, and aussie open, so same similar ball nothing has changed but i would say the level of the competency among among the tennis players it's really gone up it's really tough Great. so i think the kids for them to come and see and watch it's really a dedication and and just, to co- and just to focus in every game, and every set.
1: And with the Children Determination as well, they've had an amazing opportunity yeah. to train with some really big names as yes, well. Yes, yes.
2: And I'm very happy to help them. And, mm. and every day I get a call, Children with, with the Determination. What yes, We do have, and we love them to come and watch and to be part of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a community event. Absolutely. And we, we also, our Dubar Durfee Foundation, we, we do support them a lot, everywhere.
1: Tickets are still available. Um, yes. Tickets starting from just 55 dirhams, by the way. So yeah. really, really inclusive.
2: And one thing I didn't say, this year, since we started, since it's a WT1000, a we started on Sunday. And that, it did help a lot. Because mm. it's still, weekend, I mean, the, the uh, afternoon matches, let's say at 12, it was, it was good. Good, yeah. good attendance, good crowd. So there you go. So a lot of people, they say, oh, we want a ticket, come and watch. A lot of VIP, it's empty. A lot of sponsors, they say, we want a ticket, let them come.
1: Yeah, well, I have We're to say, here a, to lot help. Of, a lot of people coming through the door, huge credit to you and the team. I know this is an awful lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes to bring an event such as this together. My last question to you, tournament director, who have you got your eye on for this week and next?
2: Well, I don't want to... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> for me, it's very difficult. I would say as, as long as we have... Um, you know, a top ten player, in the final. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who wins.
1: Tennis is the real winner.
2: Tennis, and us spectators yes, as well. Absolutely, <laughs>
1: Salih Talik, the tournament director here. We are at the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship. This is your live clinic. The chance to suss out if your aches, your pains, your worries. You, well, a friend thing like me, those groining joints are in need of an osteopath because we've got one of the best in the business on the line Anisha Joshi is an award-winning osteopath from the UK where she's got three clinics many an A-list celebrity who uh, comes in for her signature crack and uh, i tell you what we're very lucky to have her here in Dubai she's going to be here at Euromed clinic for just a few more days Anisha how are you? I'm good how are you? I am well. I'm down at the tennis and it's lovely. Um, now, I have I play a bit of paddle and I have to say I love the sport. My joints, the knees are not loving the paddle, let's just say. So I want to find out a little bit about some of the injuries that our players here might be expecting and us mere mortals as well. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about what's coming into clinic at Euromed. What are you noticing about the, uh, the bones of us Dubai dwellers?
3: Well, do you know what? It's really interesting that you mentioned paddle because... In the UK we don't really have it and um, I've noticed a lot of people coming into the clinic talking about their paddle sort of injuries and (laughs) like you said with your knees, um, I think with paddle what I have seen of it, because I had to watch a YouTube video, it looks very (laughs) fun.
1: Um, It's really really fun but it's really fast and you've got lots and lots of of lateral movement and going backwards and forwards.
3: Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a bit like tennis, but a lot quicker. And I think it's essentially where people are having to change direction very quickly. Um, obviously, rotate their body at the same time to hit the ball. Um, and what happens is sometimes you can step awkwardly or if there's a muscle imbalance within your legs or your lower back, it could also impact uh, whether someone might land awkwardly and then experience some pain.
1: Yeah, I had a message from a friend this morning saying, so sorry, you're going to have to cancel Friday night because I've done my back-in playing paddle. And I think, and this is no comment on my friend, but I think in general, a lot of us are getting a bit excited about a new sport and like, this is my new hobby, this is what I do now. And then you go, yeah, but you haven't actually done anything for a few years now. <laughs> so you've got a lot of people in their like 30s, 40s, upwards going, oh, oh, I'm, I'm not 23 again. <laughs> and we see yeah, this quite a lot in like, um, dad's football. a a big thing in dad's five-a-side football it's like just pull the hammy or something way more serious now Anisha before we get to the text we've got a number of um of really interesting messages from you actually people keen to get your advice are you able to just give us a little outline on what an osteopath does and I guess some of the things you are able to help people with between now and three o'clock uh
3: yeah sure so an osteopath is a musculoskeletal expert And we help with things like neck pain, um, headaches, uh, lower back pain, sciatica, knee pain, ankle pain. Basically, most pain, I've got
1: you. (laughs) Can I ask you a question as well? Because I think a lot of us often will come to an osteopath when we are in pain. Um, Do you get people that come in just for a bit of a tune-up and a check-in, or is that quite rare?
3: Um, We get it all the time actually Um, so people want to have their spine checked um, and sort of I guess have a look at their posture and they rather have preventative treatment rather than coming in sort of calling with an injury.
1: your Life clinic in conversation now with osteopath Anisha Joshi. She's over from the UK where she's got three incredible, incredibly successful surgeries. And she's here at Euromed Clinic for just a few more short days. So you have got the chance to see her in person, but you've also got the chance right now to pick her brains and see if perhaps an osteopath could help you out with something that maybe you've just come to think of as being normal. does that happen quite a lot. People just think, I'm getting older. You know, my back is always going to feel like that. Or it's just a niggle. There's nothing we can do. Do we just get used to living in pain
3: yeah absolutely i mean i one of the things i always say um is that our bodies are like a car and quite often what happens is, is when we feel a niggle it's like the warning light on our car dashboard flickering on and then flickering off again and quite often people when it's your yourself people ignore that warning light however if they were actually driving their car and the warning lamp, lamp was supposed to come on then you know they take it straight to a mechanic so it's about listening to your body um and yeah and there, there is this culture of kind of oh that's me now like I give up I I just shouldn't do football anymore I shouldn't do pilates because that one time I went I hurt myself um and that was mm-hmm. just not the case well, let's see if
1: we can help out some people on the text line now. Do get in touch. Initially, we're through it until 3 o'clock if you've got any questions, want to figure out maybe we have got some strange symptoms you want to get to the bottom of. Um, John's been in touch saying, Hi, both. I've had a TMJ for so many years and I have learned to live with the pain. Would seeing an osteopath relieve some of this as I hear curing it can be actually very difficult? Um, For anyone that's not familiar with TMJ, we actually spoke um, about this with a dentist a few weeks ago, Anisha. Can you explain it from an osteopath point of view? What's happening in your body when you get a diagnosis of this?
3: So um, the TMJ is your temporomandibular joint, which is your jaw. Um, And actually, I'd say post-pandemic, we've seen quite a big increase in people experiencing pain. Now, I know we're not really wearing masks anymore, but I think there has been an increase in people that grind their teeth or clench mm. their teeth when they are stressed or anxious. Now, um, to open and close your mouth, uh, you are using muscles in your cheeks and these muscles then attach onto your neck and consequently this can predispose you to getting neck pain um, and even headaches as a result of the TMJ becoming tight um, or I mean it's a it's actually a joint in itself so you can get inflammation or irritation within the joint as well which can refer pain.
1: So how do you then treat it in clinic if some if John was to come in to you is it something that you could address in one session is it a bit of I know it's going to depend on severity of course but you know is, is there a way of if not curing it completely then certainly noticing a big difference in the pain that he's experiencing?
3: Yeah, I mean, so if someone was to come into clinic, an osteopath would look at the entire lifestyle of that person and advise accordingly and also work alongside dentists um, for the jaw. But we can also uh, massage the muscles and the cheek. Uh, quite often we can put some gloves on and go inside the mouth and get to the interior muscles as well. Um, And this often provides a lot of relief um, and we give exercises to help stretch um, the jaw and strengthen which further supports any kind of jaw pain.
1: Anissa Joshi is an award-winning osteopath from the UK. She has been on television. She's joining us here on radio. She's got many an A-lister celebrity client. And we've stolen her away from clinic at Euromed, where she's here for just a few more short days treating us mere mortals here in Dubai. So if you have got aches, pains, ongoing issues that you need a bit of assistance with, it's your chance to go and see her, of course, in real life and, of course, right here on the show to get any questions into her. 4001, use the ARM play app, use the WhatsApp if you prefer and you don't need to put your name on if you'd rather not. And then the anonymous message here for you, Anisha, saying... Since a frozen shoulder injury two years ago, I've developed considerable upper back and side pains. I've been given many stretching exercises, but end up with so much pain when I do them, it takes days to recover. So I stopped the exercises. Should I continue these stretching exercises despite the pain, or could there be a more serious issue that I need to attend to? I know it's hard to obviously give a diagnosis as such um, on this medium, but having heard this listener, what comes to mind?
3: Well... um Frozen shoulder is really traumatic, actually. I don't know if you know much about it, but it's it's when you're... uh, So it's um, when the joint itself becomes essentially frozen and it can take up to 18 months to fully heal. um, And it's excruciating. There's extremely limited movement. uh, People often can't sleep very well. um, And it can lead to sort of frustration, low mood as well, not being able to move your arm pretty much at Mm -hmm. all and getting very limited sleep. So from what this person has said, um, I would say that it's likely that there's some residual muscle wasted from where uh, they were unable to move effectively during that time. Um, And if the stretches that they've been given are aggravating it, then I would say it's probably best to get another opinion um, Mm -hmm. because they shouldn't be con- consistently kind of causing you pain for days and days. So I would probably recommend just, just seeing someone else and seeing what they have to say.
1: You don't need to live in pain. You really, really don't. And so we, we get used to it, don't we? So definitely worth a second opinion um, and having a proper look at the at the root cause of that. All the, all the very best with that shoulder. i um, a message from Paula saying, Hi both, sometimes in the morning I wake up and my hands feel stiff and it really scares me. I've got to move them around a lot to get them feeling normal. Is this just normal as you age? I'm 51. Or could I be lacking in some sort of vitamins? So hands feeling stiff. This is, I mean, I immediately think of, you know, my beloved Granny Jean, who, as she got older, you know, had some some kind of forms of arthritis in her hands. And that's, what, that's when she would complain about it in the morning. But Granny Jean was in her 80s at this point. 51 is young. So what comes to mind with Paula here? Yeah,
3: definitely 51 is young as much as, anyone over the age of 50 um, tells me that they're not young. They are. Um, I would say that it could, yeah, it could be um, an element of degenerative changes in your hands. But to be honest, that's nothing to worry about. Um, And as long as you're not in agony, really stiffness is kind of just something that happens. And I'm pretty sure if that you talk to to other people around a similar age. And if you're female, quite often, even fluctuations in hormones as you're getting older mm. can impact the amount of inflammation within your body and might lead to that stiff kind of feeling. Um, supplements are great, though. Um, I, do, I do recommend my patients to take things like omega three vitamin d uh are, is really really good to support your joints your muscles um even though you guys live in this gorgeous weather it's always good we're all to deficient anyway we're all t-
1: <laughs> we're all t- i mean I'm, I'm i'm sitting like a cat in the sun here at the tennis this afternoon so i'm um, i'm hopefully getting a nice dose of it but you know it, it is we're pretty infamous here for being vitamin d deficient so supplementation of good quality supplements we should say um can make it I just always forget to take them I feel like it's a bit like when I buy a book and I'm like oh I just think by having it on my bedside table (laughs) it'll somehow get into my brain and then the same with supplements if I spend enough money and they're in my vicinity surely my body will just absorb them by osmosis. but no apparently I actually do need to take them so so a good a good omega-3 a good vitamin d anything else in terms of supporting joints um and I'm asking for selfish reasons now with my with my dodgy knees what can be useful there
3: um so collagen is pretty good as well um and really a good night's sleep so it, it sounds easier said <laughs> than done with those with children no, and right. stress and etc but um things like magnesium really support um sleep so that's quite good to take as well Um and if you work out like yourself um i would say creatine is a really well-researched supplement and is actually really, really good for recovery and muscle
1: um, growth. Fab, okay. I'm heading over to iHerb. Um, Let's see if we can help out um, T, who's been in touch saying, um, Anisha mentioned headaches earlier and I suffer on and off with migraines. Um, Can you explain what cranial osteopathy is and could it be a good option for me? Um, Now migraines are a really, really difficult one and I've suffered myself T for years and years. And weirdly, maybe not weirdly, having children seem to cure it. Mine seem to be hormonal. Um, but if you've kind of ruled out different things with a doctor, can you explain a little bit about about cranial osteopathy and how it can support people suffering from migraines, which are debilitating?
3: Sure. So cranial osteopathy is a um, mode of treatment that is done after someone's done structural osteopathy. So it's kind of like a specialism. Most typically it's used uh, for babies, but it can be used in adults as well. And it's a very light touch uh, sort of osteopathy where they put their hands on your body and by doing some very gentle movements, they're able to, they say that it's able to um, move the cerebrospinal fluid and the lymph system to help with if there's any blockages uh, within the head. Um, now some people find this amazing and it can really, really help and others mm. don't have any relief and, and unfortunately it's like one of those things that you really have to um, trial and error yourself to see whether it's something that suits you.
1: Mm-hmm. So worth worth an investigation. Um, can I ask you as well about when people come to see you Anisha, because as we said earlier a lot of people come to you when they are in a huge amount of pain, do you often have an emotional release when you're working with somebody? I'm, I'm really asking, do you get people getting the giggles or having a cry when they're on the table?
3: Uh, yeah, all the time. Um, it's, it's, a huge, um, it's a huge thing that emotion, stress, anxiety can manifest within your body. Um, mm. In fact, there's so much research now to actually show that uh, stress, anxiety and sleep have a direct link with the way in which your brain actually um, feels pain um, Mm -hmm. and pain sensitivity. So it's really, really um, interesting when I get patients in and I treat them and if they get a release of that pain, sometimes they burst into tears and um, they might have something else going on in their life that they didn't feel comfortable telling me at the beginning of the session. Uh, and they just feel this sort of, I guess, freedom. Like they can tell me what they want, and and nice. I think that osteopathy and physical treatment is just as equally, if not more, uh, important to have mental check-ins too.
1: Couldn't agree more. It it is part and parcel, isn't it? And we we you know we were just talking yesterday about the impact of food and diet on our mental health, and I think we, you know, we're just starting to realise just how inextricably linked these things are um so working like a kind of 360 approach it can it can make a huge huge difference um i've probably got time for one last question this is from tony who's been in touch about a six-year-old son who's been having neck pain for two months doctor saw him wasn't concerned and prescribed some painkillers and was told to come back if it got worse but um we took him to see an osteopath who diagnosed and i must try and say this correctly torticollis does that sound so familiar? Yeah. From a sporting injury. <laughs> he says there's a feels that's a muscle strain, but there's anything to worry about, but the pain isn't getting any less. Any advice on how long this could take to treat? So just six years old um, and has a muscle strain from a sporting injury. Um, how, what's it like working with kids? I mean, you know, how did their bodies heal faster than ours? I mean, we've got growing to take in consideration. What, what are you mindful of with this age group and, and this condition as well?
3: Um really interesting question. I treat a lot of children actually and um, I would say it's really tough because they have so much going on that we Mm. don't realise and yes they're sort of growing, their muscles are changing, um, their hormones are changing as well and um, the, the toughest thing is actually knowing it sounds odd but sort of knowing what's real and what isn't and when i'm mm-hmm. sort of no, with a child i i kind of have communicate to communicate as well because they them. often
1: don't have the language the words to describe it yeah it's tricky
3: yeah exactly and and it's sort of um and sometimes you have to sort of distract them and talk to them about something else while getting them to do movement so they just to really see what's going on as well because they don't they just don't understand and um, I would say that that's quite a long time to have uh have neck pain really um and from my perspective if that if that was my patient, I would probably again be saying just to seek um some more opinions. Tony, wishing you and
1: your boy all the very best. Anisha, for anyone that wants to get in touch with you, you can be found on Instagram, um, Osteo Anisha, and also if anyone wants to send me, just, you can send the word osteo to 4001 and I will send you the details for Anisha Josh. She is in Dubai for just a few more days there at Euromed Clinic. Anisha, thank you so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy. Um, get back to clinic and we'll talk to you very, very soon.
0: This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. We've got your
1: live legal clinic here this afternoon and turning our attention to Wills. If you're anything like me, it's probably been on your to-do list for quite some time, but maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you're concerned about what you actually need. This is your chance to get those questions answered because joining us live at the tennis, Soma Gadi is with us. She is a lawyer at SG Legal Consultants and a mum, which I think is really important because we're gonna be talking guardianship as well. Soma, thank you so much for being with us. How are you?
4: I'm very well, lovely to see you.
1: Now, I tell you what, this is something that an awful lot of people know, we know we need to do it. How, what kind of percentage do you think of residents in the UA have actually ticked this life admin box?
4: I think very few. Unfortunately, really? it's not really a dinner party talk. So. It's not. no one likes talking death admin. No, to
1: be, to, be, <laughs> to be honest, but it is one of those things. And unfortunately, we have heard it time and time again that, you know, when when something hasn't been executed properly. What you're then leaving a family to deal with is grief and despair and a whole lot of loose ends and paperwork when you really should be concentrating on being together as a family. This
4: is exactly how I got into this. Really? Yeah. Um, When I moved out here, a really dear friend of mine, her husband died without anything in place. And unfortunately, she had to leave Dubai, and this could have easily have been avoided if she had something, or if he had a, had a will in place.
1: What do you think are some of the barriers, the the reasons that people perhaps don't take action? What are some of the the common common reasons you hear, somewhere?
4: The common reasons I hear are: I'm too busy, mm-hmm. uh, it's too expensive, and it, I don't need it. Yeah, the I don't need it one. I, I, I want to
1: I want to get to get to the crux of this because I think especially with an expat mindset, a lot of people don't know how long they're going to be in the UAE. So it's kind of like, well, we might be here a year. And then next thing you know, it's been eight years, ten years. You might have bought a property. You might have had children in that time. So tell us a little bit about the criteria of people that really do need to be thinking about this very seriously.
4: Well, Helen, I would say everybody, any expat here, because yes, families, of course, because you would have your your children, you need guardianship in place. But even if you're a single person living here, in your employment contract, you will have life pensions, you will have benefits, you will need to have something in place to protect that, mm-hmm. and um, we've seen it time and time again when you haven't got something in place, how wrong everything can go. Can we talk then about some of the eligibility requirements of a DIFC will for registering that? Okay, so for a DIFC will, which I'm, the registered, I'm one of the registered draftsmen for that, um, you have to be over 21, you have to be non-Muslim, and you have to live or invest or have children in the UAE. So, an awful so, lot of people. Yeah.
1: Now, Dubai, as we know, we've got people from all over the world, all sorts of different faiths and backgrounds. What about if you are in a mixed marriage? So, let's say, m- you know, m- one, one partner is Muslim. Um, tell us about how that works, because I think that's quite another in, in layer of complication and confusion.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, look, um, and I've had this. I've had many clients in mix, um, uh, mixed couples, and basically my advice to them is the expat who is non-Muslim can absolutely draft a DIFC will and register it. For Muslims, we have to think about Sharia law. Mm -hmm. Now, in that, I have loads of Muslim mum friends that come to me all the time and say, Shoma, what can I do? And my advice to them is to have three things organized. No, they can't have a DIFC will, but they can have in place something for their property, something for the children and something for themselves for their own my one piece of advice helen for every lady listening is have your own bank account because we know if something happens to your husband here and you don't have anything in place everything will be frozen
1: and then, and then again, you're dealing with this admin at a time. Oh, it's, you're grieving. Absolutely. You're grieving. So let's talk about the guardianship, because I think that is a really common concern for an awful lot of parents, especially when you think about, we might have great friends here, but in the UK, for example, where I'm from, you, know, you would, might have a grandparent or, or a sibling Absolutely. present. I don't want to role play how horrendous the situation would be, but let's just say both, both parents pass away. Tell us about the paperwork that would need to be in place in order for their, 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 their preference to be to be recognised and executed in terms yeah. of the care of their children.
4: So, yeah, brilliant question because this is something that I'm really passionate about and that's why I, I trained for, for DIFC Wills, because you can absolutely have guardian statements and provisions in place and that is key, Helen, because... What happens is, as you say, um, you, you need somebody in place straight away. So what they provide for are temporary and permanent guardians. So temporary typically would be a good neighbour, some good friends that can jump in immediate to give immediate care. Then permanent guardians would be perhaps relatives that are living in the UK, overseas, wherever. It may take them a bit of time, mm-hmm. but if you have those guardian witness statements filed and ready to go, it makes a very difficult situation a little bit easier um question here
1: um saying how do Muslims prepare their wills now it, it, how, tell us a little bit about that because as you say, you know you've got sharia law here is that an, yeah. is that an automatic execution, or are some things that Muslims could be doing in order to, as I said, have their wishes
4: recognized so so Muslims obviously can 't uh, prepare a diFC will but they they are uh, it's Sharia law that applies to them and with Sharia law, they can have their own UAE will but that will only apply to 33% of their estate. The rest of it will be divided among uh, according to Sharia law. Now, there's been a new change in the personal status law that came into play on the 1st of Feb, mm-hmm. um, which you know about. So, so this is amazing because it's much more about equality uh, between men and women. Previously to this, it would be much more male-orientated, um, and now the men and women are equally treated. So this is a really positive step, I think.
1: We're talking wills this afternoon. It's your live legal clinic. What do you need to know about protecting yourself and your family here in the UAE? Shoma Gardi is with us. She is a lawyer at S.J. Legal Consultants. She is a DIFC draftsperson, draftsman. draftsman. So, Dress person. <laughs> Let's keep it equal opportunities. I think so. so, we are going to go to the text line, and a lot of people understandably wanting some clarity, um, whether they are Muslim or non Muslim. Uh, we've just been talking there about division of assets, and someone said, Where do Muslims register their wills for the 33% you mentioned?
4: So, they can go to the, UA- the, the UAE courts, it's the Dubai courts, and you pay a notary a, a small fee, and it's done in Arabic and English. Okay, fantastic. Um, and a question here saying, We had a will prepared several years ago, but things have
1: changed with guardianship. The people have left the country. Do we need to update it? And if the company that prepared the will no longer exists, how do we get it changed? Great question. As we said, transient part of the world and uh, friends we sadly have to say goodbye to all the time when they leave. So what happens in that situation?
4: Absolutely. We? Yeah, Helen, Yeah, you have to be on it. You have to be looking at your uh, your information all the time and updating. Um, with this, you have to do uh, a new guardian statement. And, and if the company is not there, I certainly am here. She's right here. And um, what about the cost? We've had a message saying, what are the costs of guardianship documents? So registering just a guardianship will uh, with the DIFC is 7,000 dirhams. Um, and then you'd have to pay your lawyer's fees on top of that. And is
1: that, this is not like a really strange question, is that you'd pay that as a couple or are you, playing, are you paying that as an individual? As
4: a No, you'd pay that
1: as a couple. Okay, perfect. Um, a message here from Liam saying, great timing, we've got a UK will, but why do we need one here when we don't have any assets? Huh, common common question, I'm sure. Liam? Yeah. Um,
4: very interesting, Liam, because actually you do have assets and you don't realise you will have... I'd love to know where my assets are here. Where are they hiding? Um, <laughs> bank account or if you have an employment contract, under that you'll be entitled to end of term gratuity, etc. So those are your hidden assets, so to speak. Um, I'm presuming cars, you know... Uh, we, we we talk about movable and immovable assets, so it might not come to, to mind straight away. But actually, everyone living here does have something. So. Um yeah, just, just you to You might be surprised yourself. if
1: you were to tot it up. Yes. Like, i bestow my Dyson Airwrap to. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about business owner's wills as well in particular? So when we're talking about assets, this is obviously sometimes, depending on the value of the company, um, a, a really interesting one. So can you then appoint some beneficiaries when it comes to you know a will as a business owner
4: yes you can absolutely i mean it works in the same way um, and i think because i i, I deal oh, with the full wills and the mirror wills but with the business owners wills what i've seen is that you can do everything online you need guidance from your lawyer but you can um bequeath up to five shareholdings um five separate shareholdings in any free zone okay how long
1: does it take because you're know, saying that you know this is the common concern i'm busy I haven't got time to, I don't know, go somewhere, sit down, you know, queue. maybe miss one document and have to come back the next day, <laughs> she says, speaking from personal driving <laughs> license experience. Although that was very easy last time. Um, so t- talk to us about turnaround time, Sherma.
4: So, so look, I can't talk for any other firm, but uh, um, for SG Legal, we're very quick. We have a specified bespoke um, questionnaire which I send out and then once that's completed I can turn around a draft very very quickly within a day or two okay. and then from there we have a registration I mean talking max two weeks okay all right so that's, no
1: that's this is all this is all good information now because you're here and because I'm holding a microphone I'm gonna ask you a question about our situation of so course. my dad actually messaged me the other day and he's like me and your mum have done our wills we need to talk to you about it and I was like oh, good. Mm-hmm. what do you know what's happening over there it's just my dad being organized as ever we've got wills in the UK because we have a property in Scotland um, and I'm just kind of wondering what happens, you mentioned mirror wills there, can you explain what that term means and yeah. why
4: that could be actually really
1: applicable to a lot of people listening today?
4: So, so actually, interestingly enough, most of my clients do mirror wills because it's husbands and wives, mm-hmm. so you are in th- you're leaving everything to each other, that's mm-hmm. why it's mirror, which is a mirror image um and that is very common because your assets are in both of your names and if one part if one spouse passes everything goes to the other okay um
1: so thinking about
4: then i'm sorry i'm i really apologize if i'm asking super basic questions
1: so let's just pretend any question is valid i come to you and say hi we've got this we've got a will it's with you know a solicitor in my hometown what do you then need in order to cover us legally here in the UAE? Do you need a copy of that will, or do you start from scratch?
4: So yeah, I would uh, because if we're dealing with a, with UAE assets, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that you have your UK will because that's already registered and done. Okay. But if we're talking about UAE assets, we we start from scratch okay. and we talk about everything that you have here. Now the interesting thing, Helen, that I would love you to know is that. Everything that you own at the day that you register your will in the UAE is covered up until you die. So everything you acquire automatically is part of your will.
1: Um, a follow-up question: Saying, do you need a will if you have a UK will, and how would they be interpreted together? I think that's a really good question. No property, just kids. Uh, Message on four zero zero one. So yeah, good good question. Because does one take precedence?
4: No. Well, the thing is, what you've got to be clear about is that you don't wipe out the other one yeah, exactly. with drafting. So you need a good draftsman <laughs> to make sure that that's not done. And um, in answer to that question, then you should do. You should definitely do a, just a guardianship will. If you don't have, if you feel that you don't have any assets worth um, including in, in a full will, the guardianship for here for the UAE. You mentioned around seven thousand
1: dirhams for the guardianship. What if you just need to make a small name change? As a previous listener mentioned, you know someone's moved. The document's already in place. We just need to literally change the names of the temporary. Oh yeah,
4: but that's just done uh, via your lawyer or yourself on the portal. So that's it's very straightforward and simple. Here are my takeaways from this chat today.
1: Women. Get your own bank account. Absolutely. Couples who are in an interfaith marriage, where one, one party is Muslim and there's non-Muslim, um, the non-Muslim partner needs a will. Muslim, well, this is, goes under Sharia law, um, and you can deal with that separately through the UAE courts. Absolutely. Looking about a two-week turnaround time? Absolutely, if you come to me. What are some of the other myths and misconceptions that you feel like a lot of people have about wills in the UAE?
4: I feel that they don't... I feel that they don't think it's important enough to, mm. to do and it's not on their to-do list um, and I can't reiterate enough or emphasise enough how important it is to get your affairs in order even if it's just for peace of mind
1: a lot of people asking for your details so I'm going to hand that over to you what's the best way of getting in touch with you
4: I'd love you all to um, email me it's uh, you can say it I, c- I can? yeah go for it so it's Shoma S-O-M-A at S-G Legal dot com and I also have an Instagram page sg legal consultant so you can find me um very easily if you miss that just send me the word legal i'll happily
1: send over that link thank you so much for joining us what it's a pleasure a sit in the sunshine feel like i'm taking care of some affairs and if you do want those details as i said just send me the word legal to 4001 i will hook you up with that information absolute pleasure talking uh, talking wills here this afternoon everything you need to know and probably a little bit more too
4: this is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan.
1: You really love a Wednesday afternoon, I have to say. It's our chance to catch up with you guys. See your photos of your gorgeous pet. Shout out to our favourite bulldogs. We've had uh, Dave and Maggie sending in pics of themselves. Maybe not sending pics of themselves, but shout out to G, the, the parent of them. And I have to say, I don't know if your dog has a social life, but we've got something to add to their calendar now. It is coming to Dubai what I think might be the greatest named festival ever, Woofstock, the most dogtastic festival. Yvonne Senden is with us, the event organiser and the founder of Doggies Adventures, joining us live on our tennis studio. How are you, Yvonne?
5: All good, all good. Thanks for having me. Tell
1: us a little bit about Doggies Adventures. Where did this idea come from and what's it all
5: about? Um, Doggy Adventures in Dubai, honestly, it's... Pure selfish it's uh, it's just me wanting to spend time with my dog in the UAE it started off in Dubai but it's the, it's the whole UAE and um, it basically it's just the goal of making the UAE more dog friendly but also making dog owners aware where they can go to with their dog and actually enjoy their time out with yeah, their dog.
1: I like that. When we're actually, you know, we're Irish Village today. There's, uh, a do, you know, dog-friendly dog, dog friendly locations all over. And sometimes it's a case of just sharing somewhere where you've had a positive experience. Yeah. And also, to your mind, as an event organizer, creating these uh, these experiences. Before we start talking Woofstock, tell us about the dog that inspired it all. I understand <laughs> she's nearly 16 years old.
5: Yeah, Boefie, or Boefje, it's a Dutch name. Um, but yeah, next month she'll be... 16 years old oh what a gorgeous girl
1: I mean she presumably is in great health because she's taking you on all these adventures do you think that's what's keeping her young being
5: active absolutely I mean it's all about enrichment right for our dogs so I mean we most of us we have a full-time job so we leave our dogs home, you know, most most hours of the day. And then in the evening or in the weekends, you know, we still want to go out. But then we shouldn't leave our dogs behind again. So take them with you, you know, yeah. and, and, and for sure by taking them out that's what makes them happy and therefore hopefully that contributes to a longer healthier life and it also i think contributes to this
1: feeling of normalizing dogs being in the community and i think yeah. it breaks down a lot of some of the fears yeah. that a lot of people have around animals as well and Absolutely. this is what kind of really surprised me about when i went back to the uk it's just dogs everywhere and my kids we have two dogs. My kids were just loving it, you know, bounding over and asking politely, can we speak to your dog? Yeah. Um, And I think that can go an awful long way for creating um, a bit of education around it as well. Absolutely.
5: I mean, I talk to a lot of, you know, pet businesses here and and places that want to open up their doors for dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And more people are getting you know enthusiastic about Good. it and they're like okay yeah it's fine let them come on our terrace and you know so it, it's getting there and uh, the more we do it the more we take our dogs out the more like you said it's becoming normal and uh, so. yeah
1: let's talk Woofstock. we've got a yes. fun with us She's the founder <laughs> of doggies adventures in dubai give her a follow for some great places to take your furry friend This is the most dogtastic festival that that ever was. (laughs) Inspired, I'm sure, by Boofy and wanting to add to her ever-expanding social calendar. Absolutely. Where and when is it going to be?
5: It is going to be next week, Saturday, the 4th of March. It's going to be at the Dubai Polo and Equestrian Club. In it's the a lovely Arabian spot. Ranches. It's amazing. Lots of grass. A lot. It's an amazing venue and we're so happy to be there, yeah. So what's going to happen on the day? Can you kind of talk us through some of the activities? A lot. <laughs> really? Yeah, a lot. Go yeah. on, I want to hear. Um, no, it's a, it's a full day. So it's going to be from 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night. And we have uh, live music. Uh, we have all kinds of entertainment, like we have uh, workshops. For example, we have a dog trainer with us. Uh, we're going to have someone talking about hiking with your dogs, uh, a lot of educational things, you know, about holistic lifestyle for dogs, but also fun things like poppy pilates. <laughs> uh, there's going to be reiki for dogs. There's arts and crafts classes. we are doing doggy energy healing. Yeah, we're going to do doggy energy healing. Y- you yeah. are talking to the woman
1: that took her dog to a gong meditation session once. love that. And Sheila loved it this was our amazing r.i.p lizzie um she was a really anxious dog when she came to us and she was eight and I took her along and she was so chilled out. But I
5: love the idea of just going oh, along nice. and be able to sample
1: lots of activities yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and learn a little bit more about it.
5: Oh, there are so many things. Like, it's a full day program. We have so many amazing, so many amazing things. Tell us happening. a little bit
1: about the color coding because I think this is a really great idea for making people aware of a dog's temperament and yeah. an attitude to being in, in a kind of social setting.
5: Yeah, so for me, for my events, like, I find it very important that all dogs are welcome. I don't mind how big or small they are, what breed or crossbreed or you know all the dogs are welcome but it's good to know as a dog owner you know how social is my or the other dog Mm -hmm. um it's also a family-friendly event so we have you know kids activities as well so we're expecting a lot of kids on the day and not all of them have a dog so they might be super super excited Mm -hmm. um but yeah some dogs like to be approached some dogs don't like to be approached so the color coding is not because you know uh something bad it's actually something really good because the dogs that have a green uh, leash tag you know they're super happy and excited to have some extra cuddles on the day and you know some extra sniffs from other dogs Mm -hmm. and the dogs with the red colors you know they might be a Need little a bit more space yeah
1: so the dogs can get assessed on the day for the color coding but they can do it in advance as well yeah. is that right yeah
5: yeah it's always better to do it in advance because uh, we're expecting a lot of people on the door be. at the day so yeah we would definitely advise to do the pre-assessments
1: and yeah. vaccinations as well we just want to make sure that everybody's going to yeah. be safe and, and yeah. covered with their, Fully with their vaccinated. jabs um, yeah. and also i want to ask about the purina adoptions because yes. you can go along if you're not a a pet parent, but you want to be. Tell us about what's going to be happening on the day. Yeah,
5: so we're super excited because Purina Pro Plan is helping us out with a big rescue organization activation. So on the the day, we have multiple bigger and smaller rescue organizations with us that are going to be, you know, helping people out, finding a new furry friend. But also, if you just want to foster and want to know Mm. more about that, or if you want to help, but Know you how. know, don't know how you can talk about volunteering there are so many things that you can do um, but definitely if you're looking for that new furry family member that's that's also possible at woofstock
1: you can go to woofstock.ae yeah. it is free for under 12s so it's going to be there from 10
5: until 10 um,
1: the Dubai Polo and Equestrian Club play areas food trucks live music workshops 50 dirhams a ticket is that right yes that's correct it's yeah. going to be awesome. I'm really really hoping I can make it along so make space for two Cocker Spaniels. Absolutely we will. And for anyone that wants to follow you on Doggy's Adventures in Dubai, what's the best way of getting in touch and checking you on Instagram?
5: yeah we are we are on Instagram just doggies uh, adventures in Dubai and uh, doggy adventures in Dubai and it's just um, yeah just videos of all the amazing places in the UAE where dogs are welcome well thank you so so much for being with us today at the Tennis gonna let you get back to your Excel spreadsheet
1: and uh, get everything <laughs> together perfectly for Thanks. next Saturday thank A. E. if you want to check out what's happening there next week
5: Listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: With ProPlan, where the number one ingredient is always high quality salmon, lamb, turkey, and chicken. It's a Dog
1: Behaviour Special on the show today. Joining us live in our tennis studio, Mena Lopez is a dog trainer at Ginger's Way. On hand to help me and you out with any issues you're having around your furry friend. 4001, use your ARN play up, you've got the WhatsApp, to send your photos too. Don't forget, every question, comment, photo will automatically put you in the draw to win a massive goodie bag from Purina Pro Plan Food, three months supply, treats, toys and more. Mena, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thank you for the invite. I
1: want to know who's Ginger.
6: Um, Ginger is the dog behind all of this is the reason I'm a dog trainer and the reason I'm helping all these dogs in Dubai it's because of her oh tell me more Um, I found her on the streets in Lisbon um, eight years ago it's been eight years and at the time I was a biologist and I she was a really scared little dog so I wanted to help her and I wanted to make sure she would had the best life that she could so I study how to become a dog trainer, how to help her, and that led us to be here now and that led us to ginger ways.
1: Wow, Tell us a little bit about some of the com i guess the common concerns that Dubai pet parents come to you with. Do you feel like there are some trends in terms of the challenges
6: um there's definitely some trends there is a lot of fearful dogs in Dubai. Mm-hmm. I do get a lot of or fearful that end up becoming reactive so I think the majority of the dogs that I work with, they're, they're very reactive on the walks, they're super scared to be on walks, and I think that's one of the major concerns of pet parents here, it's that it's Tell us a little bit about how you
1: help in that situation, because my friend has a similar situation and actually what happens is she gets anxious and starts to anticipate these interactions, then passes her own anxiety onto the animal, it becomes this kind of really stressful circular loop. <laughs> How do you start to kind of break that pattern?
6: Um, first of all, kind of reassure the owner that it's not their fault because a lot of times mm. there's so much negativity around being a, having a reactive dog that when the owners come to us, they are, uh, their own confidence is already a little bit broken. So first of all, is bringing the, the owner's confidence up and then slowly start working on the dog's confidence up as well. Uh, Depending on how bad it is, you might need to start at home uh, doing some fun games. We're all about fun games, doing fun games to uh, boost the dog's confidence and then um, teach the owner how to handle when the dog has a reaction, not to make a big fuss about it, uh, and how to start to slowly change the dog's behavior. So all of that counter condition and all of that kind of, um, all of the work that you need to do and also try to explain the owners what is the dog why is the dog responding that way? Because a lot of the times they don't understand. Yeah, and then dog psychology. Exactly. And then I explain like, listen, your dog is so afraid of people, like I'm afraid of spiders. And mm. then they look at me and they start laughing. It's like, no, it's true. Like if you put a spider on my hand, I will bite you. <laughs> and 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 that's what the dogs are doing as well. And, and when they, they kind of make this association, they are more compassionate and they start learning more and they actually help more the dogs when they do this connection.
1: That's really interesting. So often it's to do with an unmet need or a fear and you know dogs communicate in the way that they know how and by understanding a bit more the psychology we can kind of meet them in the middle a little bit more
6: exactly so a lot of learning the dog's body language and learning the, the little whispers that is the dog body language so growling and and barking and snarling and biting, it's already the dog screaming at us. So there's so many little nuances and so many little things that we call the whispers that the dog is telling like, I'm really uncomfortable and mm-hmm. we don't read into that. Mm-hmm. And then we wait for our dog to be screaming at us.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and because at Woofstock, there is going to be an adoption opportunity and fostering. And this is a question we get an awful lot on Pets and vets And I wondered if you could offer some general advice on helping settle in a foster or, or newly adopted puppy into a home because a lot of people unfortunately take animals back quite quickly and thinking it hasn't clicked this is not for us and perhaps not giving it the time and the chance that it actually needs to to really settle in
6: um with adopted dogs uh, less is more uh so sometimes give them their time to settle um a lot of the times uh i get a lot of a lot of owners that they say like i want a dog out of the bedroom as soon as possible it's like give them time it's only been 10 days in your house what the what you're doing now? It's not go, what's going to happen for the rest of the life. So mm-hmm. just be a little bit more permissive now, and focus a lot on the good behavior that your dog is giving now, uh, instead of trying to change it in a couple of in a couple of months.
1: We've had lots of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Manny Lopez <laughs> is on the show this afternoon from its Ginger's Way, talking about dog behavior. So if you are having some challenging situations, and I I know it can sound trivial to say that you know my dog is barking too much or pulling or chewing. These are these little things that add up to a really stressful home life, and some of these can be adjusted and changed. So don't hesitate to get in touch. We're very much here for you on 4001. Um, I wanted, before we go to the headlines, I'm ask, her, ask you, um, are there any breeds that are particularly challenging to work with, or does it all come down to the individual personality of a dog?
6: It all comes down to the owner. <laughs> <laughs> the personality of the yes. owner.
1: <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> but I'm guessing it takes a certain type of dog owner to reach out to you and say, I am willing to learn and try because I'm sure an awful lot of people be like well it's just this dog and we'll just have to live with this now that must be you must be attracting good people is really what I'm saying
6: yes I'm, I'm, I'm very very lucky with the people that I work with but also the The way I work in the philosophy of Ginger Ways, it already attracts the right kind of people because Mm -hmm. I work with owners and they will be the ones doing the work. Yeah, when you're not there. Exactly. I will just be there coaching them and being the cheerleader and guiding them to the right path. But if they don't do the work, they're not going to get any results. So that already attracts the right.
4: This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition.
1: We're very much here to help with a bit of a dog behavior clinic. Uh, joining us live, Menna Lopez, she is a trainer at Ginger's Way and a lot of messages for you unsurprisingly. Let's talk barking because this is something our dog does and it's got a very specific way of raising my stress levels. <laughs> this is um, a message that's come in on the text line. Um, this is from uh, from Leanne saying, how do I train my dog to ignore and not bark the kids next door. We've had him five years. He's good as gold. Apart from the minute he hears next door neighbours arrive, he's outside. He barks, tail up, wagging mostly, but he doesn't stop. The kids are little, noisily playing. He can't see them, but obviously hears them. He does the same if their dog comes out too. Barks constantly and there's no shutting him up unless I come inside. Um, I'm sure he can't go out again. What can I do? Oh, la la. Don't Um, don't say move house. (laughs) (laughs) No,
6: not moving houses, but... um Dogs bark and they're always going to bark, so what you can try to achieve is at least when you recall your dog, so when you call your dog back to you, he comes and and that's it. Um, So the best thing you can do when dogs are are warning is there's some weird sound outside, there's some... A threat. A threat, exactly. That's that's what they they were meant to be. You just call them in a very, very happy voice. Um, Come here, Ginger. Good job, good job, good job. And then when they finally come, they get a little treat. And then uh, with a lot of repetition, the dog is going to learn. The faster I go, the faster I get my treat. Mm-hmm. And then if they stay next to you, they can get a second little treat for that. So they hold the position next to you and they don't barge straight inside. And at some point, you're going to have a dog that does a little woof and he comes straight back to you like, I did my job, where's my treat? Uh, and that's <sighs> how you handle. That um, sounds
1: game changing. No, it
6: is. It is. It is possible. Uh, you just need to always remember to be happy because if your tone changes, your dog is like, you know what, not going. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I wish I could
1: remember who told me this, but. One of our dogs is very barky and specifically around people coming to the gate or going past our gate. And a bit of doggy philosophy um, was the, that you know, the psychology of this dog is there is a threat to my family in my home. I'm going to go and bark at this threat. This person hears how ferocious I am and is gone. Yep. I'm so effective. Look exactly. at me helping my family. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. She thinks she's just there
6: for us exactly and by calling the dog he also breaks that snowball effect because Mm -hmm. when the dog goes back it's like oh the threat disappeared and i didn't bark my my guts out until the 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 threat passed away so that's also one of the the reasons why we call the dog back thanks Manet.
1: okay a um, question from sasha saying what should you use as a high value treat when training your dog um, also, what if your dog isn't food motivated? So let's take that first question. What's, what is a high value treat?
6: A high value treat, it depends on your dog. A uh, high value treat for ginger is everything that it's cheese or, cheese. Cheese is Jeez. the most high value for her. Uh, so it needs to depend on your dog. Some dogs, high values are cucumbers. I have a Labrador that comes to my group classes that he's a high value treat. He's cucumbers and carrots, bless his soul. Oh, ours um, is um, apple peel. Jarvis yes. loves apple peel. So you kind of just need to know your dog and, and figure out the thing with high value treat is if you give high value treat in all the situations it stops being high value treat. And also mega calories for some of those treats. Exactly so for example for Ginger she only gets cheese if we are out in hikings for example for recall that's the only time so you do need to be, the, be smart the way you play with your high value treats.
1: So then what if your dog is not that bothered about food and maybe it is a toy or attention and affection?
6: You can also try to find a toy. So again, it goes with the same if your dog really likes balls, like, for example, agility dogs that use for that are go for competition. Uh, The toys that they use for in the ring, they're only allowed to play with them on the ring. So they are super excited to finish and to work for the toy. Um, But normally, if your dog is not taking food or or treats, it could be because he's very stressed or very excited. So there's always a reason why your dog is not taking uh, high value treats. So try to figure out what's going on a lot of the times owners tell me like oh he's not food motivated and I come with liver treats or with sausage and the dog is taking the food it's like oh the dog is taking the food oh well of course it to find it. you just need to find it yeah let's help out um, Amit he's been in touch saying the cocker
1: we're fostering is not neutered how do we deal with him socializing with other dogs he's happy sociable and loves playing um how how important is this and we obviously don't want to have a an unwanted litter of little (laughs) half half cockers knocking around um but when it comes to socializing is this a factor that i mean needs to be concerned about
6: you do need to be concerned if there's any females on heat uh where uh, off lead where you go with your dog and you do also need to be concerned because some males will might react poorly to your dog because he's intact so some males that are jealousy yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) basically um so you just need to be more aware that some males will have a a more of a reaction to your dog than if he was neutered mm-hmm. uh, but if your dog is as he says friendly and happy to play you don't need to have any concerns can we talk
1: separation anxiety yes. this is something we had a really really tough time with our dogs really tough and we'd come back and the bathroom door would be destroyed or countless flip-flops just gone and more more upsetting than that was this dog was really upset about being left. And this is the dog I was talking about earlier, who was eight when we adopted her. And we didn't know much about her history at all. Things got a lot better, to be honest, when we got help. So when I, when we had our baby and our nanny Loretta was around a lot more, and, you know, she found that really, really comforting. But it was really distressing for all of us, this kind of destruction and distress. Um, and we had a message um, on the text line. Uh, this is from Vicky saying, um, "I have two dog- dogs, both adopted. First dog came; he's been our pet for three years, no issues. We decided to get a second. He was castrated at eight months. Um, he was humping our older dog, me, husband, Teddy. He's also marking, which needed to stop." She says, "I'm in the house 90% of the time. I'm out for school runs, and the occasional run to the shops, but uh, but most of the time it's an hour at the max. He is howling and barking as soon as my car leaves the house." Until he hears it back again. I've tried Kong toys, licky mats, talking to him via Alexa. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, all of this combined worked with our first dog, and nine months in, this dog is no better. I'm really lucky that our neighbor is tolerant, um, but it's not fair to them, and it's not fair that my dog is so unhappy. I feel terrible about this, and I don't know what to do to sort out the separation anxiety.
6: Um, separation anxiety is for some dogs, as you say, it's an anxiety, so some dogs they even need medication to uh, work through the process. Um, so if for nine months it's not working, I would say maybe like ask for professional help just Mm to see through your routine and see what's going on. But you need to get to stick with your routine and what you're doing for a long time. A lot of the times we start, we try for two weeks, three weeks, and then it doesn't work like next to the next option on the internet. Mm -hmm. And um, there is no enough, um, consistency. Exactly. So it's continue to leave your dog. with. Funny things to do, so with yummy, yummy treats or kongs, again with things, and he only gets available when he's by himself. Try to understand what freaks out your dog first, because most probably the fact that she picks up the car keys already freaks out the dog. So by the time she's in the car, the dog is already having a full panic attack. So pick up the car keys, put your shoes, go watch TV, uh, and just kind of messed up a little bit. Um, there is a very good book uh, online that I normally give to my to my clients. It's called uh, "Don't Leave Me." Something like that. Don't leave me. It's a separation. It's a separation anxiety Bible that just takes you step by step, and you need to start slow. So you need to start with just five minutes, then twelve minutes, then twenty minutes, and go back to the eight. So just go back and forth until your dog is totally fine with. Oh, great advice. Thank you. I've
1: got time for one last question, Manner, if that's okay. Uh, Vicky's asked. Sorry, uh, this is uh, this is Rick saying. When do puppies chill out? Got a fourteen-week-old bundle of energy. Uh, training's gone well. You know she's using the, the the pad, but when will she understand that she needs to snooze? Um, depends on the breed. Never. Oh, great. <laughs> Sorry, Rick.
6: <laughs> um, it's about. You need to teach your puppy that it's time to snooze so you can use the calming activities, the chewing, the sniffing, um, shredding and um, licking. That is like giving a pacifier to the to the puppy. A little sleep cues. Yes. Yeah, so the more you give these activities, the more the dog is going to be calmer and he's going to start learning. OK, just because we're all together, we can just chill out for a little bit.
1: Man, if anyone whose messages we didn't get to today or for anyone who needs a bit of one-on-one time with you well, one-on-one plus furry friend what's the best way of getting in touch with you uh, and finding out more?
6: our um, Instagram um, page it's Ginger's Way If you need
1: that, just send me a little message saying dog, I will send you that Instagram account thank you so, so much for your time You're really appreciate it some you. excellent, excellent advice there and if you are struggling um, please don't hesitate to get in touch just with the word dog and we will, of course, be touching on dog behaviour on a future show It's Pets and Vets